there's so much media and it's like, where do you go for your information? You need to, it's nice to have one place you go to and say, okay, I'm going to follow this guy because he seems to be well connected. He seems to be, has the same, and the focus that you have, which is not tech. All right, everybody, welcome to the Animator's Guide to Virtual Reality. I'm your host, Rick Delishney. Uh, coming to you here from Peterborough, Ontario. And I just want to thank everyone for all subscribing to the show and for your feedback and for sharing with us links and ideas. Um, we've got some great guests lined up. We'll get to the, the, the guests coming up in a moment, but uh, I just want to jump right in. And, uh, and finally, I've been really, really excited to uh, get uh, today's guest on the show because we're finally kind of getting a bit of the preamble and sort of the what I'm trying to do with the podcast out of the way, and what I'm excited about is getting some animators on board. And we have got an animator on board, and not only that, not only that, um, Jerry Paquette is a is an instructor at Algonquin College uh, in Ottawa, Ontario. Now, Jerry started his his career in animation many years ago, working on um, the Raccoons and the Better or sorry <clears throat> for Better or Worse Christmas special, and Babar and Father Christmas. And moved on from that to um, help co-found the animation program at Algonquin College, which was the first of its kind to incorporate computers into a traditional curriculum. He is currently teaching teaching a game development uh, program, and he specializes in board game design and cinematics. And if we have time, Jerry, I want to get into the board game aspect because I this is something that's completely new to me. I had no idea. But Jerry, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you, Rick. It's Great to be here. I am so happy you're here. And just as, a, as an aside, and what, Jerry Jerry plucked me out of the crowd at an Amiga uh, festival, gosh, 20-plus years ago. And I was... Uh, yeah. yeah. I was touring with a film that I had done called Two Bits. And I'm staring at the poster in my office right here. Um, mm-hmm. That silly little cartoon was uh, the love of my life. Uh, we were—I was at Ryerson University back then, and we, there was really no, well, there was no computer animation program at the time. And I decided to make an animation that uh, I say toured. It actually got quite a bit of coverage, and ended up in at the Ottawa Animation Festival and in the Museum of Science and Technology. And I was uh, demoing at, at uh, Amiga groups um, around all around the country. And that's where Jerry found me at an Amiga world or one of the Amiga conferences. And well, that was the platform of the day, (laughs) you know, it's interesting. And, and Jerry, I know you've seen, uh, technology come and go as have I. And it's interesting that we have, we share this, this, uh, this Amiga connection because in many ways, I mean, we're going to be, I know, we're going to be talking about constraints a lot, I think, today, I th- and sort of the, the constraints that are on us in terms of hardware and software and budgets and what we can yes. and can't are able to do. And man, the Amiga was all about the Amiga was all about constraint and opportunity in one. Well, yeah, I, I, but it was it was the go-to platform. And 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 researching one of the courses I did teach in the Game Dev program um, was the history of video games and. Allow me to research and really get to know um, where it all came from. I was there when it all happened, and so were you. Like I remember when my brother brought home his first um, Kalee Pong, you know, so you can bring the arcade experience home. You know, I was part of that. Um, but the Amiga was the de facto standard for electronic arts, for LucasArts. Um, this is where this, these text-based, well, not text-based adventures, but point-and-click adventures, all those old things, they were all developed on Amigas. And the whole demo scene as well, really. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> little wild copper like, demos for independence for, for for filmmakers for uh like it was it was an affordable platform to to create your own animations um and uh, be an independent without having to go through film you know that expensive process of film and labs and equipment you could all do it on on, on a single machine very liberating and and and, and that, that the excitement that came around that where someone with deluxe paint um and a mouse mm-hmm. Could really yeah. put together some really interesting work, and this was and, and the ability to do something as simple as press the play button and have animation play back with some yeah. degree of fidelity was was really innovative at the time. And and it's the re- one of the reasons I'm bringing that. Another reason it's all yeah. kind of connected, and that's what I love. I'm going to enjoy having you on the show to sort of <laughs> sort of reminisce a bit. But everything has something to do with VR, which is happening right now. And I just wanted to yeah. sidestep for a moment. There we have a, a gentleman who was going to be coming up. Well, I'm going to, hopefully, <laughs> David Wine's going to hear this and be a little surprised. We've been having a bit of an email conversation. He is a, a developer here in um, in Toronto that I had quite a bit of work uh, that we did together back in the Amiga days. And it's interesting. Mm-hmm. His company is called Gnome Tech, and uh, a program that uh, – an, immers- an immersive experience that he put out was called CircumPaint. Jerry, have you heard of CircumPaint? I think you might have mentioned it in one of your previous uh, podcasts. Maybe, maybe, but I had a chance to actually see the demo and and watch it work. <laughs> and Jerry, you're gonna love this. This is basically deluxe paint in virtual reality. You okay. are gonna love it when you see it. And I got a big smile on my face right now because that's exactly how I felt then. And I'm in in reaching out and doing this podcast and meeting people or rekindling friendships and seeing what's going on in VR and everyone's kind of working on something. It's that same kind of incredible grassroots excitement that I'm feeling. There's a lot of... Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. There's a a lot of, like, big companies and big money involved, too, of course. But that's not really the focus (laughs) of this podcast. It's it's that grassroots stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a brave new frontier. Tell me about some of the work that's being done, I know, in Ottawa. I mean... uh, and just in terms of grassroots work, I mean, tell me about your your, your classes that you're doing right now and, and, and the students that are touching on VR right now. Well, um, we're not teaching VR um, per se within the program. We're, um, uh, the uh, game development program is a three-year program. It's a generalist program. So we cover all aspects of game development, you know, the coding, of course, which is core, uh, but we also get into the... Uh, uh, the drawing, the animation, the sound design, uh, level design, uh, you know, cinematics, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so they get a kind of well-rounded uh, experience or education so that they can really understand all aspects of the process. But we don't, we don't really forge ahead uh, in the new things, but we do have at the college a, a department of uh, applied research and innovation. Mm. And through that department, uh, basically companies to the college, you know, to, to medium sized companies with ideas to develop that can't afford their own R and D. And the college, just like universities, you know, uh, colleges now can access these funds um, from the government, uh, provincial and federal to help, you know, encourage innovation. Uh, and research R&D. And so that we combine with uh, faculty and with students. Uh, so it becomes work experience for students. Um, 
and a way for faculty to guide those students and, and, and deal with a real client, not just like an assignment. So one of these projects um, dealt with um, uh, the University of Quebec in Outaouais, which is UKO, uh, just across the river here in Ottawa. And they have a psychology department. And within that department, the head, Stéphane Bouchard, happens to be an expert in cyber psychology. Now, is that the, um, cave, the CAVE program? Yes, so they have they have a uh, a lab, and they have a cave, um, and a cave is actually goes back quite a ways. Um, but it was the ultimate, and and to many extent still is the ultimate immersive experience because you're we're talking about if you can imagine this a ten by ten foot um, a box where each wall is actually a rear projection screen, um, and. And so what's being projected on these screens are a 3D environment, you know, so not only all around you, but above and below you. So you step into this wow. uh, box, you have the 3D glasses, you have the head tracking uh, sensors on there, you have a wand to move you around, you can even have people with you watching, but you are immersed. And when I experienced that for the first time, um, what really triggered it for me what really got me in was the fact that as i moved especially as i moved um vertically up and down as i squatted you know the perspective would change like i would be able to see underneath the table oh you know um and that created a connection between me and my environment um you don't actually see the seams like they're very faint right because it's so bright um so that connection, that between your body and the environment, uh, it's something we take for granted in day-to-day life, like 3D, but I think more effective, um, really kind of links you with the environment and really sucks you in in a way that IMAX or, you know, large screens can't do. Um, I was, it was, it was kind of a, a mind-blowing experience. And I had experienced VR before, you know, in the 90s in, at Seagraph and stuff like that. And, yeah. But not like this. And so this is used, this this system is millions of dollars to uh, to set up. There's a separate computer, a separate, you know, uh, box for each, there's six computers running, <laughs> projecting, you know, wow. from the six walls. It's, it's that powerful. Um, but they develop the environments and they deal with, um, it's used to help um, patients with uh, phobias, fear of spiders, fear of heights, uh, gambling addictions. And they develop these environments. My students were hired to help, de- you know, build these environments. Uh, and then, and they, they develop them and test them in this cave. And then they get, once it, they, they, they find it working, then they transpose it into smaller systems, um, like the stuff we can get today, uh, the Oculus and stuff like that. Um, so that was my first modern experience to like truly immersive VR. Now you mentioned uh, students, and just to come back a little bit, yeah. I actually was—I actually—I did, didn't mean to put you on the spot there, Jerry, because I knew that Algonquin mm-hmm. does not have a VR program currently right now. Well, but, actually, but I did know that some students were. Oh, okay. And I know some students are doing, they got the dev kit for the Oculus. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what have, is there any success stories or any interesting stories that you want to share with us there, or any shout outs? Or is it still kind of, of early? Yeah, none of them are really developing. They're curious about it. Um, but in within, uh, beyond the, the college, um, there's also the uh, Carleton University that has 
a multimedia program or computer science program that has some game development near the end. And um, one of the graduates from that program became a member of the team that created the Everybody Keep Talking and No One Explodes Classic. Um, that was part of a game jam that took place here in Ottawa a few years ago. And that was right. their concept. Um, and they kind of built it from there. Uh, it's a three man operation. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's, there's some local stuff happening. That's, that's, uh, and, and what they did is they approached the, they didn't try to transpose existing, uh, like first person shooters and stuff into the VRM. They basically took the art and said, what can we do? with this, you know, from scratch, you know, and they came up with this idea of a bomb diffusing scenario where you have one person in the room with the bomb and every, and the rest of the team is, is speaking to them remotely. You know? <laughs> it's absolutely they incredible. All the guides, but they vary, you know, so they're, they're asking, well, what does it look like? What, you know, and then they're flipping through this physical paper manual, this binder, trying to find and trying to guide this person under a time constraint, you know, to, to deactivate the bomb. It's notable that this is a, an Ottawa, this is a Canadian invention, and uh, it has really set a milestone. I'm actually going to play a clip right now because there's, there is a clip of, of, uh, of couples playing the game. And oh, yeah. I'm just going to play it right now. Hang on. There's a little poison symbol, and now we're like, there's like a little timer that's I'm getting redder and redder. I'm looking for wires in general. There are, that it's was the getting, only I'm page about wires. Together. It's the only page about wires. It's redder and redder. Do I go up? Do I go down? How many wires do you have? Okay, so that is the game Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, and part of the and part of the team that built that came from Algonquin College, and that's who our guest is. Well, not not from Algonquin College. Okay, sorry. Um, I think the jam, uh, uh, the team were, were it was a global game jam event. And I think they were actually developing. They came up with the concept at Algonquin, and some of our students, uh, my students, were involved in in testing the game and playing it out and stuff like that, and they got on the YouTube channel, and that's where it all kind of sort of began. But it was, there were, our students don't really have anything out there yet. <laughs> okay, no, no, and this is just exactly it. I think that they're, I think we're going to start to see more of it for sure. And then as far as the Ottawa community, now, Jerry, when I was speaking with you, we, we, we've I've really been enjoying catching up with you, and we've talked about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Ottawa uh, tech scene and maybe VR scene, but then we started talking about board games. Was the Dirty yeah. Rectangles a local group, or was that a board game group? Or tell me about the the, the, the indie scene right now up there, as far as animation well, goes. Well, okay, so um, I'm a, the executive for the local chapter of the IGDA, which is the International Game Developers Association. Perfect, yes. And so every month we have an event during the, the winter months and the summers, we kind of take a break. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I got involved with the executive because my background is animation, not games. And I needed to get to know who was in the industry, who was who are the local players, um, the, the studio owners and, you know, the, the, the people, you know, and, and that was my way to kind of step up and, and make myself known. I also represent students. Um and um so that's kind of the the business side of things right um and but a number of our grads uh have formed their own group called the dirty rectangles and they represent the indie scene um so they get together at a a bar called the avant-garde which is this russian bar a little you know place near the rideau center and um, they have an area in the back called the pit and have all these propaganda russian propaganda posters on the wall and everybody you know uh, 
buys the the Baltica beer and it's it's a it's like basically the rebels versus you know the empire kind of thing and it would be so much my scene if I were in college still but I go and uh, they, it's mostly show and tell uh, every month they they get together it's a support group uh, it's a, a sharing group um, and they're just there to motivate each other keep because you know, some of them have day jobs that are either game related or not game related still are keen to do their own thing their own way. So yeah, there's some fun happening there. That's interesting that you mentioned that it's a uh, <clears throat> it's a collaborative uh, play area where where <clears throat> people are are open to talk about the work that they're doing. That's uh, something that you don't often hear in the gaming community or in the in the in the AAA formal gaming community anyway. Ah, oh. But but the indie game scene is completely different. It is, you know. But even even the um, I would say the. Like I've been to a number of game conferences and stuff like that. There's a lot of sharing, a lot of like open source type mentality. Um, there are like at the higher end when there are more stakes involved, just like in film, you know, then you have to keep secrets and there's non-disclosure forms and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, in the middle, you know, and then in the indie stuff, it's, it's wide open. You know, people, it's everybody's looking for ideas and for help and not no one person has all the answers. Yeah, for sure. So, if someone in Ottawa was uh, interested in uh, learning more about VR, are, are these are these open to the public? These these meetings? Yep, absolutely. Both and I'll have I'll have links I'll have links to all of these in the show notes, by the way, too. So, if you're in the Ottawa area and want to learn more about all this, um, definitely. Uh, it's funny when now we're talking about sort of the younger generation and your students, and um, one of the things I find so remarkable and is about virtual reality is that moment when things trip over into. Uh, into uh, oh I get it mode or or where you let your guard down and it's like wow this is incredible I'm gonna play an audio clip right now Jerry and, and uh, when we come back you tell me what it is that we're listening to what the hell's that I hear it where is it the train yeah. don't see it where are you ah it just ran me over <laughs> and there's a bunch of birds coming. <laughs> All right, Jerry. So, what are we listening to there? Um, basically, this is my wife, Monique's um, first exposure to VR, uh, and using Google Cardboard. I, I, I kind of got suckered into it. Uh, I, I'm kind of observing from the sidelines, I'm keeping track of things. Um, and I was approached. I was introduced to a friend of a friend who was planning on doing a documentary about VR because I knew games and I knew film, but she had no experience in any of that stuff. So she was looking for guidance. So we started talking and I didn't have any answers for her on the spot, but then I started doing research and, and getting answers. And then of course I, was, I need to start experiencing stuff. Uh, and so I got I invested in Google cardboard, <laughs> the cheapest platform. You can get so over 20 bucks to get this cardboard. And my wife has an iPhone. So we stuck it in there yeah. and I went to a site called verse, um, VRSE, and they have a number of, um, you know, uh, experiences you can download. One of them called Evolution of the Verse, with an E this time, um, and it's a 3D rendered uh, scenario. And um, it's fantasy based in a sense, uh, but it, it's you start in a, you're in the lake and you're looking around at this environment, and then you hear train things and, um, so if you turn, if you're, if you happen to be pointing the right way, you'll see the train coming. But Monique happened to be pointing away from the train. She can hear the audio cue <laughs> and 
timing worked out in such a way that when she turned, the train was actually like right in front of her. And when it, it and when it, it, it doesn't really hit her as much as it breaks up into a flock of birds. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of what she's reacting to. Um, so it went over by a train, kind of. <laughs> not really, because it breaks up. Yeah, right? it's kind of like the fear of being run over by a train, <laughs> but then it's okay because it's just a bunch of birds and they fly yeah. around you. So I wonder, Jerry, if if that's the feeling, if that's what happened in the audience during that first film when the train, the the, the first motion picture absolutely. film. That's got to be the absolutely. same feeling. It, it and that's the right. Um, what we're we're looking here with VR is kind of a wow factor that we haven't seen since the very first days of cinema, moving pictures. Um, when people saw these things on the screen, they were like, they ducked. They physically ducked to avoid it. They couldn't understand that it wasn't real, that it was flat. It wouldn't hurt them. We take that for granted now. But at the time, it was as mind-blowing as VR is now. And even, you know, with sound and with color, those are impressive advances, but they didn't have the same wow factor. First, like, my God, it's moving. I'm seeing moving pictures. Things are alive on, on the screen, right? And we're kind of with that. So that's what, what kind of tells me that VR isn't not like 3D in the movies, which is dying. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it is. It's, it's such a joke. Um, but it's, uh, it's something that's to a, a new medium for us to explore and expand into. Um, and that's what makes it particularly exciting. Yes, yeah, something new, and um, it's 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 different enough so that people can kind of make up some rules as they go along. Um, gosh, there's so many different directions I could go with this. In terms of <laughs> in terms of animators, now you've worked in animation and, and, yes. and for for most of your career, really. Mm-hmm. Um, what opportunity? What's the biggest? opportunity and what's the biggest maybe threat or challenge for who someone who's in animation now and wants to move into VR? What's the biggest opportunity and the biggest threat right now? Well, I don't see any real threat because I don't think it's going to kill any other existing mediums. Um, Opportunity is it's a new form of storytelling. Um, One of the other sites um, that I came across in my research, um, is the um, Google Spotlight Stories. Oh, and yeah. Mm-hmm. The Spotlight Stories is actually a platform. It's actually um, a, a delivery system um, that you can, you know, sign up for and develop for. It was actually started by Motorola um, in uh, 2013. And the um, first film they decided, they, they created with it is um, something called Windy Day, yeah. And um and it was uh Jan Pinkava, I think it's his name. He's a a, a Pixar Pixar uh, animated yeah. director uh who did Jerry's game and um worked also worked on um what's the one with the mouse? Ratatouille. That's right. Yeah. So well renowned and he was drawn in and a bunch of other Pixar people were drawn into this project. It was very innovative. Basically taking what they knew, um about filmmaking and storytelling and, and 3D and, and adapting it to this new medium. Now we're talking, we're not talking VR so much as we're talking about 360 movies. Uh, this is for the Moto X series that was, was rolling out. It was kind of a surprise for the users. 
And basically, it's a, you know, you hold your phone, you see this movie, and as it uses the gyroscope. So as you turn around, you can, you can, it's like a window to the world around you. Um, so it's yeah. not as, it, you're not as, as enclosing as VR, but you get the same response to your movement. You can look up, you can look down. And it, basically, the premise is this little mouse and this hat that kind of blows in. And he, every time he goes to try to pick up the hat, the wind blows it away. Yep. <laughs> and, and then you follow. You know, you follow him or you follow the hat. And it's really interesting um, how they develop that because it'll pause in places. Like if if you lose right. track of the mouse, you start focusing on the squirrels in the tree, then they're, they're going to be slapping each other around because that's kind of what these squirrels do. And they're going to keep doing that until you look away. And when you look away, then you're outside the tree and you're back with the mouse and those squirrels are no longer available. So the the the... the the, the movie will kind of expand and contract depending on, on who's to, to view. So, um, and, and they put out, uh, so that was really neat, um, a, a novel experience. I just uh, going to soft for a moment because that actually is really critical to understanding, um, in terms of what yes. animators need to think about is animators are used to, you know, animating forward or doing their keyframe animation and they have, it's definitely a linear uh, process or, uh, whereas with this, you need to sort of think about them and going back to my programming sort of lingo, they're almost like an, like object oriented animation in a way where triggers, um, set, set off animation. And then once that, that, that little mini program ends, or if the user stops moving, then, um, the whole system has to idle and wait for the, the user to catch up or for the user to get reengaged in the right direction or not. So I just want to point that out. That's something that is, um, we have to think about that. How, how animation is. will start and stop. No, but the, we do have loops in animation cycles. You know, like a walk cycle is not tons of drawings. It's like a 12-drawing cycle that eating, right? Because it there's no beginning in it. It's, a, it's a, you know, you take one step, you take the other step, and then it repeats. And then the background that pans behind the character as they're walking, that repeats as well. So it's not uncommon. Like the the, the spectators may not notice that it's, repeating or looping but we're you kind of thing yeah and that's something that or even music that have loops and riffs that repeat and cycle in and out you know it's the same kind of thing yeah for sure um so we were yeah sorry i got you a little sidetracked so just sort of opportunities and you mentioned google spotlight stories ah. yeah well they're they're if if we're talking about filmmaking and storytelling um and that's really kind of what i'm really getting drawn to um, with VR. Um, not so much the game aspect, surprising enough. <laughs> um, I'm really intrigued by the, the storytelling and the documentary potentials of, of the medium. Um, the next one they did was uh, one of the Pixar guys um, who's, who's focused on story did one called uh, Buggy Night. Yes. And it's kind of like 10 Little Indians, um, but with bugs. Mm-hmm. And so you're in this environment, this forest environment. These little bugs, you know, are nervously chatting, and then something scares and scares them, and they go skittering off. And now well, you're left. Well, it's actually going to stop you. It's interesting to note what scares them is the light from your perceived flashlight. And again, this exactly. is the trigger. This is yes. the whole interactive thing. They will sit yes. there and wait for you. They'll wait all night yes. if they have to. But once you find Until you them, you find them. So then that's your motivation. There you go. Where do they go? Where do they go? Okay, carry right? Sorry, I just wanted to make that's that point. That's how you're drawn into it. Yeah. And then when you find them, then they'll scurry off. You follow them, and then this frog comes in and eats one of them. <laughs> and now they're down to <laughs> from five to four. Right. 
Yeah. And it keeps going that way. But what a novel uh, way to, you know, to guide the viewer. So exactly. And when I give demos of, of my product, what, what we're doing here at RDXYZ, that's, that's, that is a finished version of when I demonstrate how interactivity works and how that triggers the animation. That's the, they, they've really done a great job uh, of, um, of illustrating that in a, in a super easy to understand way. Everyone who sees that film and experiences that either in VR or on, on, on YouTube, um, they all get it. They go, okay, they, yeah. they understand it. And that's wonderful. And that's the way it should be. It yes. should be. You just like television, like radio, you know, it's just something, you know, even if you've never listened to a radio program or watch a TV program, you sit down and you should be able to just accept it and say, okay, I get this. Right. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a leap. You shouldn't have to fiddle with the controller <laughs> to understand, you know, how to make this thing work like video games and stuff like that, where you actually have to train a little bit. Um, the next one is Duet, um, which is Glenn Keane's piece. Um, and Glenn Keane being a star animator from, from Disney, who uh, famous for his work on Ariel and, and Little, uh, Mermaid. Little Mermaid and the Beast and Beauty and the Beast and Tarzan and like the best of the best. Um, and now he's gotten into this and Duet. Have you seen Duet? I've seen it, I've seen the teaser or a 2D version of it, but I haven't seen the immersive version, no. It's it's drawing. It's it's yeah. it's sketchy, loose. It's it's traditional animation, but the thing is it it starts off with uh two kids, a boy and a girl. Uh and as they grow older, they kind of uh, they go their separate ways and they reconnect throughout their life. The 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 thing is, you can only follow one of them at a time. <laughs> They go off in different directions. So you, depending on who you look at, you'll see them grow. Then you see them reconnect. Then you have an opportunity to keep following the boy or follow the girl from that point on. Mm-hmm. So eventually they get together. It's a romantic thing, but it's, it's, you're, you're given choices. And which, you know, once you've seen it, it's okay. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch it again, but I'm going to focus on the other one or what have you. You know, it, it kind of, you know, put you in a, a predicament. Well, what are you going to do? You know, you're, you have you have a choice in here. You know, you're not being dictated to what to follow or what to watch. You decide. And there, and it's a, it's very clear. I know that's one thing that that I don't like about video games. Sometimes is mm. um, you you certainly have choices, uh, but you really don't have the ability to roll back necessarily and and try another choice. You're kind of stuck with that choice well, as depending the game. On the game. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest with you. The one that was the worst was, uh, and, and the one that I really wanted to love was the uh, Epic Mickey game. Did you ever play yeah. Ep- Epic Mickey? I did. I did. Yes. And it was beautiful to watch, and <laughs> it had its moments of just just overwhelming beauty. But the gameplay was so frustrating, and it did lock you in. And if you made certain decisions to be the bad Mickey or a good Mickey, it it kind of messed up the whole. <laughs> I went yeah. bad Mickey on it, and I couldn't bail, and it was like, oh. <laughs> You regretted your decisions. Oh, you? I totally did, and I really, and it wasn't fun. See, see that's where it becomes more like real life. It's yeah, like a game. Mm-hmm. Like, games should be forgiving, right? Yeah, and real life isn't. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, that was a bit frustrating for me. Um, wow. One thing that uh, that I know you you have with all the experience you've had since um, VR from the '90s up till today, and I know. Gosh, every day now, this this week, I mean, where are we now? We're getting near the end of February 2016, and uh, things are really starting to happen in the hardware yes. world. I mean, what have you kind of seen recently uh, in terms of storytelling and filmmaking? And, and, and by that, I mean 
you kind of need to wear these things longer than 30 seconds to tell a good story. So what are you seeing in terms of hardware that's kind of getting you excited or where are you hedging your bet right now? Well, you know, the, the Oculus is obviously the, the leader of the pack. Um, and now they're, they're rolling out systems that are Oculus ready. So instead of an Intel inside sticker, you have an Oculus ready sticker. Um, and because it, it requires so much processing power at the high end, um, the I was at uh, the Montreal International Game Summit um, last fall, MIGS, and I, and there was VR was everywhere, and I actually got to experience a number of these, including the PlayStation VR. Oh, interesting! Yeah, you're the first person and, on our show, so that's interesting. Yeah, it was um, the demo I actually got to try was the London Heist one. Where you're in a yes. in a van with this big burly Irish guy, or yeah. I guess English guy, yeah. And uh, you've just pulled off the highway. You're on the highway. There's concrete all around, like bridges and walls. So you don't get to see much scenery, but and he's you know cracking jokes and stuff. And then you you know these motorcycle gang or and then other vehicles try to run you off the road, and so he basically runs one over. It comes crashing into the windshield. Then he punches out the windshield, creating an opening, uh, throws you an Uzi. You have a duffel bag full of ammo, <laughs> and you're reloading and shooting at these things as you drive down this highway. So it was probably the best of the best right there for the in terms of the quality of the image. And um, but you know you're seated. You're not running. You're seated. So you know there's no up and down or anything like that. So it works well. Mm. Uh, but. For me, I don't like the idea of being tethered to a system. Hmm. Um, um, so I'm looking more towards the Samsung Gear VR, you know, um, where you just get a Galaxy phone. Um, and I think Galaxy 7 now, they're in the US and the UK, they're um, bundling it with the, the Gear VR. So if you buy into that phone, you get the Gear VR for free. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm leaning into um, as the next step. Um, and also the other thing is I don't need the, the – the, I think the trick that you need to watch out for for, for virtual reality is the R, um, the reality. And it's the same thing with 3D animation. Um, it's what I call the reality trap. And people are so keen on making things looking real. They don't realize – how many layers of complexity augment <laughs> and how much, how easy it is for regular people to spot bad reality. You know, like it just becomes uncanny. Um, these humans that don't have the right flesh, you know, textures or the layers, like 10 layers of skin and all this other stuff underneath. And we, we inherently know this without even thinking about it. We can tell when something looks fake. Um, yeah. But if you go with cartoons, Right. If you go with things that are more graphic, then there's that suspension of disbelief that kicks in. And you can just you don't have to worry about that. All that high end resolution and reality and, and processing is just, you know, you know, just go for the cartoons. That's why I'm so excited about what um, the the spotlight stories are, are, are doing in the Pixar approach. It's just um, these guys are ex Pixar, but it's that mm -hmm. cartoon approach. I think it gives you more freedom, more room to play and, and 
less hung up on recreating the real world because that's what you're trying to get away from anyways. Yeah, I know. It's I know. And that's actually something that I do get a little frustrated with the video games of late. And, and they just for, really try to push for this photorealism and really try to push for some of these, quite frankly, incredible effects that they could pull off in real time with uh, the graphics chips that are that are mm-hmm. out here right now. But you know what? I look at that and I'm like, exactly. You're push- You're so close to reality that the human brain gets frustrated because you're close but you're not there and people are fighting for that but you know what the work that we're doing here at rdxyz and then actually every single film that you mentioned tonight that's happening through google spotlight totally not photorealistic what we're going for is appeal and and jerry i'm sure you could tell you could confirm this appeal is a big part of animation uh in fact it's one of the 10 uh it's one of the ten golden rules of animation. Really, we have squash and stretch. We have timing. We have uh, the principles. The principles. Thank you. Thank you. I was looking oh, for the word. And and one yeah. of them is appeal. And that that can't be understated. I mean, it's it's so important when and, and because in many ways VR because of the technology, um, it it is very uh, processor intensive and da 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 da. And you're driving two screens instead of one. And we all know the technical limitations of it. But if we Roll back to our Amiga days when we were doing demos on floppy disks mm-hmm. that captivated audiences, and they, they did. I'm not I'm not joking here, and you know this, and but our listeners will might find this hard to believe, but it wasn't the photorealism that made systems uh, that made the animation appealing. It was it was the appeal of the characters, and Jerry, I'm sure. He, Above all, story. You know, it's it spend some time on the story. Make sure it's working forwards and backwards. Make sure your characters have appeal, and uh, that's I think what's going to be really exciting. Well, you're you're looking for a narrative. Um, you're looking for an experience, um, and storytelling is is you know goes back to the days you know, around the fire as, as primitive beings and sharing our experiences, and we format those experience into you know into paradigms, you know, the, the classical um, story arc, the beginning, the middle, the end. You know, real life isn't quite that cut and dry, but people, you know, it gives people something to think about, something to reflect upon and appreciate. And go, yeah, that was very satisfying. And I think VR has to kind of, even if it's just like a one of the companies here at SimWave, they're doing an exhibit for um, museums, and it's kind of um, a big plexi or glass box about the size of a TARDIS with a ramp leading up to it and it's designed to be installed in museums and the current one they're working on is a World War One event that has not been photographed or filmed but you get to re-experience it you know in this VR environment and they even went so far as to have air jets that you know oh. rep- replicate the feeling of bullets whizzing by oh my goodness I have a couple of my graduates working on that they're behind, they're working for that company and, um, and, and the idea is what's missing there. Sure. You're, you're in this trench and there's, you know, all these soldiers around you and this war going on about you, but where's what, what, what's going to make you care? You know, mm. you need some sort of attachment. You need someone to guide you through that. Someone you need to care about, like, you know, saving private Ryan, that opening scene, which is mm-hmm. uh, very much, you know, like if you are basically what I've come across um, is, is the idea is that anything that you see as point of view in a film, uh, POV for short, uh, from the point of view of, of the protagonist or the antagonist or what have you, is, is potential fodder for VR. 
you know, if um, you're thinking about, you know, um, things like Rear Window, the Alfred Hitchcock classic, you know, where the protagonist is mm-hmm. stuck in a wheelchair and he's looking out on this courtyard and he gets to see into everybody's windows. Why? Because it's blistering hot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. And everybody's got their windows open and, you know, their shades drawn up, you know, open. And, and so he gets to see it and he becomes a voyeur. Um, but in, in, in Czech Hitchcock's film, he guides your view in, in VR. You would decide for yourself which window to look in, um, and what to make of what you see. Yeah, it's interesting. I think everyone's homework tonight after you're done listening to this podcast, uh, I'm, I'm speaking to our listeners now. Um, <laughs> your homework is to think about films where, like Jerry says, where, where that's happened. Um, where the, the, the camera becomes the point of view, the POV or of, of the, of the protagonist or one of the characters in the film. And the one that comes to mind for me right now, um, it might be too obvious, but I mean, it's just like, I, it's like, wow, it would be the movie Gravity in a way where you, the camera almost became a third character or second character yeah. in the scene. Mm-hmm. There's actually a game being developed uh, for the PlayStation that is based on Gravity. Oh, see, that would be it's something. That whole experience. That would be perfect, I think. Yeah, would be quite good. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thinking, what about Blair Witch? Oh, yeah. All right. So you're in this tent. All this creepy stuff is going on. And you're you're looking around. What's going on? What's going on? You're hearing people off in the distance, you know, and you're, you know, some of these, most of them are very frustrating because, you know, you're having a hard time focusing, especially on a big screen. um, What's going on? But if you're controlling that camera, you know, um, then you're you're less likely to be, you know, disoriented or, you know, but that's what they're trying to emulate, right? Films mm-hmm. are trying hard to draw you in and put you in the position of that person, that protagonist. And they're getting, they get close, but they never quite get there. VR gets you there. It's interesting. I'll just tease our next guest. Uh, it's mm. it's uh, Vincent McCurley from the National Film Board of Canada. He's oh, a creative yes. technologist, and the, some of the installations he's worked on are are absolute uh, milestones in, in 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 immersive and interactive media, not just VR. Um, yes. Locksley's in the world of uh, the War of eighteen twelve, uh, mm. Bear seventy one. These are these are films that I've seen. The Last Hunt. Uh, we'll talk about next week with 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 Vince. Vincent mm. is uh, one of my favorite um, immersive. Um, browser-based um, experiences I've ever experienced. So we'll get into that, but but one of the ones that you, you mentioned about sort of like the, the the disorienting factor and how that's something we try and get away from. The, his latest project is called Cardboard Crash, and it explores the uh, explores the um, ethics of self-driving car. And uh, ah. if the car has to make an ethical decision in a, in a split moment, who dies or how few people die in a scene where someone's going to die. It's, 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 oh, there's it's, the three it's, rules of robotics. It's, it's incredible. Yes, exactly. And then depending on how you decide to play this car crash out, ah. um, you get really disoriented and you, and you pull yourself out of the experience and you feel kind of weird. But that was kind of the... In one way, that was the point. I don't want to lead too much and speak too much. We'll, we'll have right him enough. explain it. But, yeah. but it's interesting how you can actually use that either um, disorienting feeling or that acclimate, acclimating yourself to a different environment, but actually use that to your advantage as a part of a storytelling uh, technique. Well, yeah, and then you have to go back to the medium and uh, we connected with you and, and, and listening to your podcast has triggered uh, ideas. 
in me, I have to say. And uh, I've jotted down some notes for potential stories. Um, getting back to the Saving Private Ryan uh, film, if you imagine yourself, you know, in a war-torn situation, or, um, but you're a casualty, okay? And you're lying on the floor. So, but in, in the environment, you're on a stretcher and you're being carried through this environment to a mass unit, right? Uh, and you're lying down, so you're seeing everything from that gurney perspective right. <laughs> or that, you know, um, around you. And uh, you're taken to the tent, and at one point you're asked to sit up, you know. Um, and if you choose not to, then they'll wander off and wait until you do. And when you do, they come back and they maybe transfer you over to a wheelchair and then wheel you around or what have you. But that's kind of just a start, um, ways of, of, of moving in this environment, like you can't use your legs, you know, you first person shooter is a terrible idea for VR, unless you're like in a V, um, because your legs, you don't, you can't map that running sensation. Uh, you don't want to really run, uh, all that time in a game. tired. Basis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are rigs for that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. Yeah. But I'm thinking one thing that hasn't been done is this idea, like, everything is, you know, you're either sit, you're sitting down or you're standing. But I don't think anyone's come up with the idea of being prone, you know, lying down prone, uh, and then sitting up from that, um, and which is a safe thing to do. You don't want to wander around, you know, your house and trip over things when you're, you know, completely immersed. Um, so imagine another scenario. You know, you're in bed, you're in your, in a hotel or what have you, and you're lying down and, you know, you hear these noises, things start making and he turns on, lights come flashing in from the windows and the doors and these aliens show up <laughs> oh, and everything, you know, they start coming close to you and everything. Then you wake up on a spaceship. <laughs> um, and then, uh, uh, they're all around you and they have these machines. So you don't know what's going to go on. Uh, you've heard hell <laughs> from X Files and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, you have a choice. If you sit up, as you sit up, you transition into your bedroom again. Right? So, okay, oh. it never really happened. But if you lie back down, you're back on the ship, and then <laughs> it goes from there. So, what do you do? Do you play it safe? Say I don't want to know, <laughs> or do you want to know? So there you go. There's a choice. You know. Um, I hope our listeners are, are making notes. This is that's oh, really yeah. cool, actually. That's Actual very cool. projection, <laughs> right? This is a thing. People, um, you know, will project out of their bodies to look back. They'll see themselves there, and they'll float around the room, and they'll travel the world. You know, um, that's a way to once you convey that idea around, then you're free to float. Um, life after death. So again, it's very similar. You know, you're on the operating table, you know, and then all of a sudden you're floating, you know, you sit up, you know, and you look back and you see yourself on the table, <laughs> you know. Oh, cherry. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or in a bed, you've died peacefully in your sleep. You oh, know, dear. But it's not you. You know, you go look in the mirror and you look at your hands and this is something you do, you know, if, if you're trying to do what they call lucid dreaming, which is trying to become consciously aware in your dreams. Like we're always kind of aware in our dreams mm -hmm. that it's a dream, but we just can't stop it. Um, but 
to take control, one of the techniques is you, you basically, you're totally, you make a conscious decision to look at your hands. So once you look at your hands, you can see them. And this is important in VR. You need to be able to have some sort of connection with the world. And your hands are, are, are what they're saying is going to be the thing um, that you need, not beyond just the wand. You need to have hands and fingers. Um, and then, so now you would see these glowing hands, you know, say, okay, so that's kind of spiritual version of myself. And you float over to a mirror and you look in the mirror and you see a face, but it's not your face. Yeah. Have you played with the leap, the leap motion? No, I was watching a video about the new one and that's mm. definitely the way to go. Oh it's, yeah. I think that's actually. Well, the, the SimWeb exhibit I was talking about earlier has, is using an older version of the leap. So you, you do have virtual hands that kind of mimic what your hands are not. Sometimes your fingers bend in weird ways and stuff like that, but still yeah. there's, it, it feels right. You don't, you're not holding anything. You just look where your hands are and where your hands are. You see these virtual hands, which you can easily assume are yours. Absolutely. So at the end of that exhibit, it's still in, in development. So the worst thing is, is uh, basically like a, a freeze frame. So it's 3d, you know, but nothing's moving. Um, but then the credits roll and they're in 3D mm-hmm. and you can take your virtual hands and swipe at the credits and push them and, you know, and break them up and push them around. And that's the funnest part. That's so but, cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it is, you know, but they're on the right track with that. Yeah. So, um, with the ghost, I look in the face, it wouldn't be. Sorry, you face. broke up there with, with the what? Sorry. The, uh, the ghost in a scenario. Oh, okay. Um, you know, when you look in a mirror, you would see a glowing face. It wouldn't be your face. Mm. But you may see a photograph and your body says, oh, you know, or look back at the body. You, you left and it's like, oh, and it's a quantum leap moment, you know, somebody else. Right? Now you have to, you're, you're a restless spirit and you have to solve your own murder. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so there's, there you go. There's your premise. So, so Jerry, what's what else is going on in your world that uh, in in the VR world, or what, what what's coming up maybe with work that your students are working on? What's what's coming up next for you? We we have what I'm I'm planning on doing with the IGDA is I want to get one of the representatives from the um, the applied research and innovation to um, speak um, to the local game community and encourage them to investigate the possibility of doing their own R and D at the college. Mm. You know, we have in our, um, uh, we have a construction uh, research lab. And in that lab, um, we have 3D printers, laser cutters. There's an Oculus 2, DK2, uh, I noticed on the table and I was there visiting it. And they have something called the Christie Hollow Cave, the Hollow Station, sorry. Ooh, and the Hollow that. Station is kind of like a... Um, a, a reduced version of the cave and it's like a desktop a fairly large desktop and then there's two side walls and a front wall in front of you and there are projectors film projectors are projecting on these surfaces so you have your 3d glasses with the head tracking and you have a wand that actually shows a hand and when you pull the trigger you can point at things um and uh again as you move up and down the environment will float around you. So, and it, and it kind of, there's a, a cloth shell that you close around you. So you, you get a more immersive feeling, but it, it's a development platform, you know, a basically a poor man's cave, if you like, but it's still pretty expensive. Um, and again, they have their separate CPUs for each of the 
the screens and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's been there for about a year and, and, and pretty much unused. So, you know, for, for small companies, um, wanting to get into VR, uh, but not being able to afford, you know, the investment and, and all that can come to the college. They can use, have access to, you know, get government support, uh, have access to these, you know, this system for development, have access to faculty like myself and guidance and students, game dev students, graphic design students for interface if that comes into play, um, animation students for building the content, um, all this stuff to, to, to take their idea and make it real and then a proof of concept. And from there they can get funding and, and keep doing that themselves. So that's, that's what I'm forward to. That's really cool. And how can people get in touch with you, Jerry? Um, basically it's just my college email address, uh, which is pocketg, P-A-Q-U-E-T-G at algonquincollege.com. Excellent. And, um, I think uh, I think you got your Facebook profiles public for a lot of your pictures. Anyway, some of the artwork you're doing there is pretty incredible. So people can, can <laughs> you're having a lot of fun I'll with your iPad Pro. If they want to find me there as well. That's great because I think people are gonna. I think um, the great thing about talking to you that I the, 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 is just potential and enthusiasm and and creativity. I mean, just in the in the, in the scope of this almost hour that we've spoken. I mean, you just have mm-hmm. so many, not only have you told us about what the state of the art is and sort of told us where we're going, but you've given us some ideas as well. And <laughs> I think that's what this business needs right now. And that's something that we're trying to do here is, you know, just, uh, it just uh, create some content for, for people that, that are craving it. They really want to, they really want to experience story, a different kind of storytelling using virtual reality. And I think this is an incredible opportunity for animators and the work that you're doing at Algonquin College, I think is only going to encourage that even more for folks in the Ottawa area or people that are come, want to come to Ottawa to study at Algonquin. I think that's, that's absolutely incredible. So you are a Oracle of animation <laughs> and technology, and I am so privileged and I'm so happy that we are able to connect again, Jerry. This is wonderful. Um, it is cool. Yeah. I've really enjoyed this past while just ramping up for the, for the, for our, our this, this, this podcast and uh, that we will be continuing and I'd like to have you back as well. Um, what I teased earlier, just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> oh, I know. There's always more. Yep. There is indeed. And in a couple weeks later, things will be changed. Like I mentioned earlier, we've got Vincent McCurley from the national film board coming up soon. We also have Sean Stevens. Sean is a lighting director and a theater technician here in Toronto. And he's done work, uh, all around Ontario um, and some of the best theaters in the business. And uh, he's involved in the lighting and a bit, a bit, we'll stick with lighting, uh, for, but the whole technical side of theater. And I think that's a very interesting perspective for animators to have is uh, sort of uh, presenting for a theater in the round where you really don't know where the audience is going to be. That's one of the biggest challenges of VR. Um, and we have a number of other guests lined up. It's so exciting, but <clears throat> Jerry, I want to thank you. Um, for joining us and you, they, our listener, thank you for subscribing. If you have any feedback, RDXYZ on Twitter, drop us a line and don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Thank you, Rick. <laughs>